when my family sits around the dinner table, we sometimes like to tell stories about what happened in our day. And as we've been doing that, I've been trying to teach my kids that when you do that sort of thing, when you tell stories about that, you need to do two things. You need to tell us what happened, and you need to get to the point. Because there have been times when someone in our family kind of tells their story with a long string of and then, and then, and then, and then, and it's really hard to see where it's going, or if it's going anywhere. I think maybe they're just trying to see how long they can hold the floor, seeing if they can filibuster dinner and, and keep going through the entire meal. So we're trying to teach them, tell us what happened, but there should be a point, not just an endless string of what happened next. And now I tell you that story because it's something that the writers of the Gospels have done brilliantly well. They tell us what happened, but they also tell us why it's important. And this morning, I just want to focus on one of the ways that Matthew does that in his telling of the death of Jesus. See, one of the ways that Matthew helps us to understand why the death of Jesus is important is by the people he chooses to include in his story. People who didn't really need to be there, people who only appear for a moment, but who actually help us to understand what's happening and why. And a great example of that is Barabbas. Did you notice Barabbas on the way through in this story? See, Matthew is telling us the true story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and he could easily have left Barabbas out. There were thousands of people in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was executed, and there were hundreds of people who were there for the trial and for the execution. And Matthew doesn't tell us about all of them, but he does tell us about Barabbas, because Barabbas helps us to get the point of what was actually happening when Jesus died. So what is the point? Why has he included Barabbas in the story? The point is that the death of Jesus is a great swap. The innocent condemned so the guilty could be set free. And Barabbas helps, to see, helps us to see that. And this is our first point. So there are two very, things that are very clear about the trial of Jesus. Jesus is innocent and Barabbas is guilty. Now, kids, I wonder if anyone can tell me what was the name of the governor who was the judge at Jesus' trial? Yeah, Joseph. Very good. It was Pontius Pilate. If I had a reward, I would give it to you. Pontius Pilate was the judge at Jesus' trial, and he knows, the judge knows, that Jesus was innocent. It says in verse 18, he knew that it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over to him. And in verse 23, he says, what crime has he committed? He knows that Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. And even his wife knows that Jesus is innocent. She's had dreams about him and she sends a message to Pilate that morning. It says, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. And even the people, the crowds who are trying to get Jesus killed, they know that he is innocent and they don't care. 
When Pilate asked, what crime has he committed? They don't even answer the question. They just shout, crucify him, crucify him. They're not interested in justice. They just want to see Jesus killed. Jesus was innocent and everyone knows it. But Barabbas, on the other hand, was guilty. In verse 16, we discover that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. He was a bad guy and everyone knew it. And Pilate thought that if they had to choose between Jesus and Barabbas, surely they would choose to set Jesus free and condemn Barabbas. I mean, who would want to release Barabbas? He'd done some seriously bad stuff. And some of the other gospel writers tell us what that stuff was. Murder, starting a riot, trying to overthrow the government. This was a dangerous guy and he was clearly guilty. It makes it very clear for us. Jesus was innocent and Barabbas was guilty. But do you see how this so-called trial ends in verse 26? Then Pilate released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So in the end, the innocent was condemned and the guilty was set free. The innocent for the guilty. Now, as I said, Barabbas really is a very minor person in the bigger story of Jesus' life. If he wasn't mentioned here in the trial of Jesus, we would never have heard of him. Just like we have never heard of so many billions of people throughout history. History would have forgotten him. But he has been included in this story for a reason. Because God wants us to know that Barabbas is you and me. The trial of Jesus is the story, as I said, of the innocent condemned and the guilty set free. Innocent Jesus, guilty Barabbas. And in that story, we are Barabbas. Now, I suspect that not many of us here have tried to overthrow a government recently. I'm not going to ask for any show of hands. But I do suspect that most of us probably haven't done most of the crimes that Barabbas had done. But God says that every single one of us are guilty of trying to overthrow God as the ruler of our lives. That we wake up every day and breathe the air that he gives us and eat the food that he provides and are warmed by the sun that shines on us and that's all before nine o'clock in the morning. Every moment of our day is a gift from God. The friends and family around us, the joys and pleasures of life, But so often we live that life as if we would rather that God wasn't there or at least that he wasn't the boss. Now, God can be my advisor. God can be my support when I need help. But not the boss. That's my job. You see, I know plenty of people who are very interested in God when they need help, when life is hard, or who want God to be involved in part of my life, but not all of it. And as I think about that, you know, it occurs to me that's what I'm like with my doctor. You know, I go to him when I have some particular need that I want help with. That's what I'm like with my mechanic. That's what I'm like with my financial advisor. They're useful for some things when I need them. But imagine if I was like that with my friends. 
or with my wife or with my parents? Do you think they'd be impressed if I only called them when I need something? Maybe some of the parents here know what that's like. You know, I've got a friend who's a physiotherapist and over the years I've been known to go to him for some advice about you know, various injuries that, are, that I've had. But you know, if that's all I ever spoke to him about, then I should really just stop pretending, shouldn't I? I should stop calling him my friend and just pay him as my physiotherapist. And I can't imagine he'd be happy with that. How much less would God be happy when he is the one who gives us life itself, who created us, who gives us every breath we take and everything in life? Why do we think that God would be happy to just be our part-time advisor or to be just our support in times of need when we treat him like a genie in a bottle? You know, I rub the bottle and... God pops out and does my bidding and calls me master. Why do we think that God would be happy with that? We've got it completely backwards. God is in charge, not me. And when we treat him as if he is not the boss or not there, God calls that rebellion against him, just like Barabbas. We might not be leading a violent rebellion like Barabbas was, but Every one of us have led a quiet armchair rebellion against God. And he will not let us continue that rebellion forever. One day he will take his seat as judge, like Pilate did on that first Good Friday. But just like with Barabbas, on that first Easter Friday, God was providing a swap for us, the innocent for the guilty. With Barabbas and Jesus, we see the swap take place, but it was also a swap for us. It's the same Jesus, but the Barabbas is me and you. Now, I don't know if Barabbas had any idea of what had gone on that morning in the trial of Jesus. I don't know if he had any idea of what his freedom cost Jesus. But I imagine that if he did know, I imagine him kind of standing at a distance and watching Jesus walk to his death and thinking, wow, that could have been me. And we could say the same thing. That could have been me. The sentence that Jesus faced is the sentence that we should face. And so on Good Friday, as we remember the death of Jesus, we get a glimpse of what it would be like if God gave us what we deserve. You know, I sometimes hear people say, I don't want God interfering too much in my life. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he knew the cost of what we ask for. When God turned his face away from Jesus, he was mocked, insulted, abused by the people around him. He was abandoned by his friend, friends. He was forsaken by God. Every day we live under God's blessing. Even the light from the sun is a blessing from God. But in that moment, on the cross, Jesus was under God's curse and the very sun stopped shining 
for three hours in the middle of the day was black. It was darkness. And at the end of those three hours, Jesus cried those words that show us the very depth of suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his cry was not answered. Just darkness, silence, and death. Abused, abandoned, forsaken, Jesus breathed his last, bearing the weight of God's curse. He was God-forsaken so that we could be God-forgiven. Now, that's not the end of the story. God did not abandon Jesus in the grave. That's part two of the Easter story. And if you come back on Sunday, we're going to hear more about that then. But right now, we need to feel the weight of the judgment that Jesus faced. Because that's what we should face. The judgment of being forsaken by God. And we need to hear it if we are going to hear the good news of Good Friday. The good news that Jesus was God forsaken so that we could be God forgiven. That we don't need to face the curse of God because Jesus did. This is such great news. And for centuries people have been writing songs about it and singing songs about it. And in a moment we're going to sing one of those songs. It goes like this. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold a man upon a cross, my sin on his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. The death of Jesus is about a man on a cross in my place. My sin on his shoulders. And this is why Matthew has told us about Barabbas. Because Jesus made himself the swap for us. He willingly gave his life for ours, the innocent for the guilty, so that we could be set free in God's judgment. That's the great swap of Good Friday. And so for Barabbas on that first Good Friday... The prison doors opened and Barabbas walked free. But how crazy would it be if Barabbas stayed sitting in his cell with the doors wide open, but Barabbas just sat there? And yet that's what many people do. This swap that God has made is not automatic. It's an offer that we must accept. God has opened the doors of the prison, but we need to walk out of it. And what better day to do that if we haven't already than on the anniversary of Jesus' death? And there may be people here sitting among us today who are still in that prison cell, waiting for judgment, not realising that the door is wide open and we've been set free. Even before Jesus died, he said, My death is the price of freedom for all who come to me. Will you do that? Will you come to Jesus? Will you put your trust in him and know the freedom of no condemnation so that you too can sing, Behold a man upon a cross, my sin on his shoulders?
And I know also that there are many of us who have walked through that door. And if that's who you are, if you have come to Jesus in repentance and faith, if you've walked out of those prison doors, then today is a day to praise God for that, to thank him for it. Today is Good Friday, and it is called good for a reason. On Good Friday, we remember a death, but it's not a day for sadness. It's a day for thankfulness and for praising God and for celebrating that on this day, God gave us the greatest swap ever, the innocent condemned so that the guilty, you and me, could be set free. Let's pray and thank God for that. Heavenly Father, it is truly remarkable that you would send your own son to go to the place that he did, that he would so humble himself and allow himself to be killed at the hands of his own creation and that you did this out of love for us, to take the penalty that we deserve so that we, the guilty, could be set free. And Father, we pray that this Good Friday you will remind us of that, perhaps teach some of us this for the first time to put our trust in Jesus, but for all of us, Father, help us to never forget just how wonderful that is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.